Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Let's get into the Word today and and welcome all of those moms. There's some moms at home. There's some folks at home. But today's message, and and you know, we we highlight moms and we talk about Mother's Day, but I I will just be honest with you. Yes, this is a message that is applicable and it applies to moms, but quite frankly, it applies to dads and sons and daughters and singles and grandparents. It applies to everyone. The, The Scripture today, I pray, will challenge us to live not only a life of obedience, but a life of, um, a life of building a habit where we, we keep our hands open. We keep our hands ready to give. The, you know, the Bible says it's, it's much better to give than to receive. And what we're going to see, a, a common thread and a theme today is all throughout Scripture, we, we see how God uses very small acts to build His kingdom. He, he tends to use very, very small acts of, could we even say it, obedience and trust to build his kingdom and to do amazing things. And so this message applies to each of us today, even though we are taking a moment to, to honor moms. And we're going to also have communion at the end of service. And so here's, here's kind of the, the, the highlight, the, the theme of where we're going. Would you maybe write this down? And this is the thought I was thinking about as I was studying this week. Anytime we make a decision that is rooted in trust, Anytime we make a decision that is rooted in obedience, anytime we make a decision that is rooted in honoring God, like those are our motives, even if things are chaotic all around us, we will eventually see God's provision when we approach Him with a heart and a position of humility. When we approach Him with a, a sense of, you know what, God, I am too empty on the inside to accomplish this on my own. God, I I have so much need and so much room for you to fill in the gaps that I need you right now. When we approach God with that type of posture and that type of positioning, we will see God do amazing things. When we talk about obedience this morning, it's, it's, you know, being obedient to, uh, to, to the Lord and maybe even sometimes what he's calling us to do, one of the hardest things to, to do is to be obedient when you can't see an earthly solution to the problem. Right? Oftentimes we see God calls us to obedience, but we don't know what the solution is. He calls us to action and He calls us to obedience, but we don't know what the answer is. We don't know what the conclusion will be. You know, uh, as we talk about amazing mothers in the Bible, I think of the story of Ruth. And for time's sake, just to kind of summarize her story, right? She becomes a, a widow, at a, a younger widow at a young age. Heartbreak sets in, and to summarize the story of of Ruth, she makes a decision to honor someone. She makes a decision to honor her mother-in-law and to stay with her, and and there was a choice that she had to make. One would be to stay with her mother-in-law into an unknown future, an uncharted territory, and the other choice she could have made, and it would have been a very easy choice in that culture in that time, would have been to run back home to where she was from. It was a, a place called Moab. And it would have been an easier decision to run back home to her people. But Ruth makes this comment in the Bible, and she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she says, your people will become my people, your God will become my God. And because she makes the hard decision, it's interesting, she 
her obedience leads her to a man named Boaz. And he becomes her husband, and that relationship leads to a son named Obed. And then Obed leads to, he becomes the father of a man named Jesse. And now we might be tracking because Jesse is the father to a man who was known as King David. And we know King David is the ancestor. He, he, he is of the lineage of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we think about what Ruth would have missed out on had she not followed the simple instructions, the simple obedience to honor her mother-in-law, even though that was a very difficult decision. Well, as we walk through this message today, I want to get into the Word, and I'm sure there, there's so many different emotions on every holiday, right? Some of us are here, and it's like it is, you, you've got a healthy newborn, and things are going great, and it's, it's, it's exciting. Some of us are here as, as mothers, um, and it's just a wonderful season of life. But how many of us know each of us will face seasons of difficulty, right? If you're not in a difficult season yet, don't worry about it. Brunch away. Get some bottomless mimosas, whatever it is to reward yourself, moms. But celebrate because difficult seasons lie ahead, right? There's one thing we can be, that we are guaranteed, right, is that we will all face difficult moments and storms in life. And today we're going to look at some moms that were in crisis, uh, some moms that are in trouble, some moms that have to look for answers because things are going south big time. And so as we kind of approach this word and as we get into God's word today, you know, there, there might be some of us here where it's like you're a son and this is your first Mother's Day without your mom, right? I know many of those. There, there, you could be um, a daughter and it's the first Mother's Day without your, your mother. Or it could be a Mother's Day without your spouse, or maybe it's a Mother's Day without one of the kids who was present. And so anytime we, we run into the holidays are always a reminder sometimes of a, a chair that might be empty at the table today. And so as we approach the Word, I want to get into God's point of view, God's, uh, God's ask of us today when we face storms, when things are going downhill, when we face times of confusion. You know, where do we look? Where do we look? Because oftentimes, like, man's opinions are readily available. Would you agree with that today? We can read about what people think very quickly about problems, right? Jump on the Instagram, jump on the news, whatever it is. Like, opinions of men and women are everywhere. But would you write this down? The first thing I want to talk about today as we set the stage is that human opinions won't solve our problems today. But the first thing I want to talk about is God's Word is the best solution for life's problems. When you are facing loss, when you are facing difficulty, when you are facing the loss of a loved one, when you are facing questions, whatever it is that you need answers to, number one, God's word is the best solution I can think of for every question we have in life. For every problem we encounter in life, God's word has an answer for us. First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. We're going to start this story off in verse 8. Verse 8, are you ready to read it with me, 11? Here we go, let's read it. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Him in this story is Elijah. Turn to someone on your left and say, Elijah. We're going to talk about these two prophets, Elijah with a J, and then we're going to, in next Second Kings, we're going to talk about Elisha. So there is, they are different dudes, Turn right? Different dudes. That's wonderful English today, right? English is my first language, and I butcher it that much, right? You do better at it than I do. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath, 
in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. I love the obedience of the prophet Elijah. A little context, a little background. There is a famine going on in the land. Um, in, this, in, this, in this time, in, in Elijah's time, there is a famine. And you know what's interesting to me? The Bible says, and the prophets say, that the famine has been caused, it has been caused, get this, get this. I, I, we could just spend all day talking about this. There's a drought and there's a famine going on because of Israel's sin. Let that sink in for a minute. That's what the Bible says. There's a, there's a, 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 dram, a, a, a drought and a famine going on because of their sin. But you know what's interesting to me is where God sends Elijah, it's outside of their territory a little bit, right? What's interesting is it seems like this drought also, it now affects the surrounding areas. It's almost as if other places like Zarephath, are there, they are suffering from the drought brought on by the sin of their neighbor, by the sin of the Israelites. How many of us know like that's the way sin is? It's, like, it's always nice to think we can keep it in a bubble, right? But honestly, that bubble always tends to pop, and sin always hurts people. We often think like I'm just going to, you know, it just hurts myself, whatever it is. But you can think of any, any addiction, any drug, anything that we do, right? It affects those closest to us when that bubble pops. The book of James, right? It says like sin. And, and if you're any young people in the house today, we got some sitting with mom. You know what the Bible says about sin? It actually says this. It says sometimes, I'm like break this down in a way. The Bible says in the book of James, sometimes sin is fun, right? Being really honest with kids today. But here's what the Bible says. Sometimes it's fun for a little while. And then it says it gives birth to something called death. And it compares it to a child that has lost its life. That's what the Bible, when it talks about sin, it says it's very honest. Like sometimes this will be pleasurable for a little while, but it's going to give birth to something that is heartbreaking. And I can't think of anything more heartbreaking than a stillborn baby is what the Bible talks about. A baby that is born with no life. There's hope. You're excited. You're excited to see that newborn and then all of a sudden it, it, it comes, that baby comes and there is no life. That's what the Bible, how it describes sin. It's pretty, pretty graphic stuff. So as we get into this word, there is a drought. There is an economic collapse. There is no food. There is a recession on the horizon, right? And sometimes I even read this and I go, uh-oh, this, this could sound familiar. Some of you that have purposely avoided your 401k for the last month are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, right? Anybody, you're like, what happened the last month, right? There, there, there's a, this is written in a season. The economy is going downhill, and the prophet goes to Zarephath, and he is obedient. And now he's on the lookout for a widow. What an interesting assignment, right? All right, let's get back to the Scripture, if you're with me still. Verse 10, when he came to the town gate right off the bat, look who's at the gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and, by the way, would you bring me, uh, please bring me a piece of bread. You know, it's interesting, right off the bat, it's like he, he, he sees her at the front gate gathering sticks. Verse 12, here's the response from the, uh, the young lady here. Here we go, you ready for it? As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home 
and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it. And would you finish that off with me? Here we go. And die. How many of you know this is, this is not like, oh my gosh, I'm complaining that like the dollar menu went away at McDonald's, right? Like what happened to the dollar menu, folks? It's long gone, right? Never again. We'll never see it again. This is dire straits. She says, here we go. I'm going to go home, prophet, and you're asking me for bread, and I, I'm planning on going home. This is our last meal. This is our last bit of flour. This is all we have left. We're going to go home. We're going to eat it. This is the last supper. We're going to eat it. And that will be it. Like the, the resources have run out. She's a mother clearly in a tough spot. And I think her response would be my response. Elijah, you might be a man of God, but I don't have anything to share with you right now. Uh, I don't have anything to give you right now because we don't even have enough for our household. We don't have enough coming in right now. This is dire need. Let's look at verse 13. And this reminds me of what the angel said to Mary. Look at verse 13. He said, don't be afraid. I love that. Verse 13. Would you just kind of say that? Say that to someone sitting next to you. Say that in your mind. Like, don't be afraid. That's all through Scripture. Don't be afraid. And Elijah says this. Go home and do as you have said. Go home and start making that bread. Do it. But then he says, but first... Would you underline that, circle that, because here's what, what God is instructing through the prophet. He says, do this first. Do this first. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something else for your son. This is getting repetitious. Uh, if you're in this spot, right, wouldn't you say, Elijah, I just told you no, bro. I, just, I already told you we're broke. Like, I already told you we have no bread. I already told you we have nothing to give you. Elijah, I just told you this is my last buck. This is my last dollar. This is my last meal. I don't have another meal to give away. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Verses, verse 14. Can we read it with me? For this is, what the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And if you're familiar with the story of Elijah, we could get into the rain and all of that, but we don't have time today. So Elijah, once again, you're being repetitious, you're repeating yourself, but now you're saying to this widow who has nothing, right? Or she thinks she has nothing, but actually what she has is something very small. But what Elijah says is to this widow, if you would reverse your priorities, if you would reverse your mindset, if you would reverse your thinking, God's capable to do something more. If you would reverse this mindset, Elijah says to her, God is actually able to do more than you could ever imagine. He's capable to do more than you could ever think of is what he says. Is, you know, this, this widow is... Is this what you're telling me, Elijah? Let's look at verse 15. So she went away. And what did she do? She trusted. She was obedient. She listened. Even though this doesn't sound like a practical plan. You have no food. Trust me first and cook me. Give, give me your food, in essence, is what the prophet says. Here we go, verse 15. You still with me? Can we read this? She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Verse 16, for the jar of flour was not used up, 
and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You know what's interesting to me? If this woman would have insisted on doing what makes sense, if this woman would have insisted on doing the practical thing, the, the, what we would culturally say the normal thing, what you should do, right? You're out of food, make sure you feed yourself. If she would have insisted on doing the practical thing as a mom, it truly would have been the last meal for her son, right? But we see this by presenting and trusting in emptiness. It's kind of a theme today. Like when we're empty, where do we place our trust? Do we place our, our trust in ourselves, our ability to get the job done, or are we going to trust in our insufficiency and allow and, and, and begin to just be amazed at God's ability to do things. Our human opinions aren't always going to fix our problems. I love the scripture. When we talk about a sense of humility, I think that's one thing this widow, this, this woman had to do. She had to humble herself. She had to do something that wasn't so practical. The Bible says that, that God, what? He opposes who? The Bible's very clear. I love this scripture. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like, I, I love, it. actually, like, is anybody here, I, I think about that, like, the Bible says God actually, he is the opposition, right? How many of you want God to oppose you, right? Like, he opposes pride, but he gives grace to those of us when we humble ourselves. Number two, would you write this down? This is just a, a you know, most of this sermon is for everybody, but this point is about moms. Can I just, can I just throw that out there? Number two, what you what, what God, God will refill what you give away. How many of us would agree that moms are the best givers at everything? Right? Somebody, right? There you go. Yeah. Moms um, know how to give. You give everything to those around you. You give everything to your, your, your kids. You give everything to your parents. You, you're a grandparent. You give everything to your kids and your grandkids. Like, moms just know how to give. Uh, it is, I think it's when we talk about the dimension, when we talk about God and how he has created moms, wives, daughters, women, right? He's created the female. He's created your gender to reveal an image, to reveal an image of God that is more full than what one gender can do by themselves alone, right? And we could say the same thing on Father's Day. God has created us, the male, in his image, created a dimension of himself, an image of himself in us that is greater than anything that one gender could do by themselves. God didn't create, right? He didn't just create two genders exactly alike with just a little bit different plumbing and whatever, right? What did the Bible say about Adam? We talk about moms, right? The Bible said this about Adam. It is not good for man to be what? Right? Yeah, Exactly. It is not good for man to, to be alone. In the Hebrew, when the Bible talks about creation, and it talks about female, it talks about women, the woman, God, in describing women, God said something different of the same kind in the Hebrew language. He said, I'm going to create something different of the same kind, meaning you're made in the same substance, the same worth, the same, you're, you're equal in God's eyes, the same creator, but you're complementary. And that's like when we talk about all these different things in, in culture today, we are meant to complement each other, right? Different unique skills, different giftings, different types of wisdom, right? Different dimensions, different images of God. But there's no doubt that God created men to be fathers. God created girls to be mothers. And those roles are roles that complement. 
They're not roles that compete or degrade or, or to confuse, but they, or even to compete with each other, but they're roles that God created to complement each other in his image to the fullest, right? And so moms, I, I think there is one thing that um, I, I think we probably would just agree. Moms know how to give. Moms know how to give. They know how to live that scripture. You, you, you should remember the words of Lord Jesus. This is in Acts chapter 20. It says that it is more blessed to give than to what? Than to receive. And, and this is kind of counterculture to everything in our world today, right? It doesn't make sense. This is something that we would say, right? You, you, you need to give to others what God, what you yourself need from God, right? This is really counter to what culture would, would say. But God is looking for people to, in all humility, right, do the impractical. I think oftentimes God draws people to himself because he puts together a plan that we, we don't quite understand how that plan went together. We don't understand how that tactic was the winning, the winning tactic, but God makes it so only he can do it. God will refill what you give away. Let's talk about another widow found in Scripture, and, and we're going to jump over to the next prophet. It's Elisha. Elisha, and would you jump into 2 Kings with me? 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to see something miraculous happen in just six verses, but we're going to read seven. Are you ready? Can we read it together? One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, think about what she is saying really quick. My husband who served you, prophet and he is dead and then he says and you know how he feared God has anybody ever felt like this this widow in this story God I've been serving you God I have followed you God I have obeyed you God I have given God I have honored why is this happening and she comes to the prophet and it could be because even in the northern kingdom that that they weren't honored as much right but we look he says it was a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha. She cried out. She was a widow. My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. Let's read the rest of it. And not only is her husband dead. Folks, this situation gets worse. This gets way worse. You ready? But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. In that ancient Near East culture of the time of this widow, the time of Elisha, right? A creditor... <clears throat> And we think about this, like I remember like in my 20s getting into some credit card trouble, learning how to control my credit card spending, right? For those of you that are young, it's not a magic swiping card, right? I remember feeling that way, like, oh, this is awesome. I'll pay it, I'll pay it whenever. Oh, man, that, that hurts. And they come, chickens come home to roost, right? Man, but this is much worse. You take out a line of credit, and no, 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 no. In this culture, they actually legally could come after your family there was no bank. Hey, you know what the bankruptcy was? Hey, let me have your kids. They're going to come work for me. That's the bankruptcy of the time, right? That actually is the way it worked. A creditor would actually take the children of those in debt and they would have them work as slaves. You can't pay your bills? Okay, we're going to have your kids come on over and they're going to work for us. They're going to do some manual labor. They're going to do some tough labor, right? And even among Hebrews, right? And it's a different, like, while, while still, while still I, I believe, not God's plan and a part of his plan, much different, like when we think of slavery in our country and the history and the atrocities, right? A much different form, but even among the Hebrews, um, 
it, it doesn't compare to the, the sin when we see it in our country. But even in the, among the Mosaic law, right, the Hebrews were actually permitted to take other Hebrews. When you got in debt, when a business deal went bad, they were permitted. But here's, here was the kicker. They, if you couldn't pay someone back and it was a fellow countryman, a fellow Hebrew, you would go to work for them, the Bible says, for six years, but you had to be released on the year of Jubilee, right? So a much different, right? But it was, it was a, a part of the business culture of that time. And I just can't help but think, have you ever been so faithful and now, boom, the creditors are coming to take it all away. They're coming to take something. God, I'm losing everything. What is happening? Well, let's look at what Elisha asks her. And again, the prophet is speaking on behalf of God. Would you look at verse 2? He says, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she responds, nothing at all. Except, it's amazing how even back then, like nothing really didn't mean nothing right? Some of us are like, when, when I'm like, I have nothing to wear, it means I have nothing that I, I can fit into to wear, right? Or I have nothing clean. I need to go walk, do some laundry, right? Whatever it is, right? Any ladies in the house, you've probably said that, right? I got nothing to wear. But it's just like, I got nothing that, that seems like the right thing, right? It's got to be cuter than this, whatever it is. But she says, I have nothing except, but I actually, I do have something. It's a flask, she says, I have a flask of olive oil, she replied. And you know what's interesting? She, she, she asks God, she comes to God looking for a solution. She comes to the prophet who's speaking on behalf of God looking for a solution. You know what's interesting is sometimes we come to God and we are looking for a solution, but we don't really want to hear the answer, do we? Sometimes we come to God or we tell everybody else about our problems or what is going wrong or what the problem is. Sometimes we either don't come to him with our problems or sometimes we don't listen to him for the answer of our problems because oftentimes if you ask God for a solution to a problem you know oftentimes he's going to give you a response that sounds crazy that sounds like impossible oftentimes he's going to give you a response that's like you need to do something that will be very uncomfortable right when you come to God looking for answers, you might, you might like, just fair warning, you better get ready to hear something that might, maybe you may not even want to hear it, right? Many times we just don't like sticking around for answers that don't make sense. Many times God will ask us to do things that make zero sense, and so in this case, she has a jar of oil. She had a jar of oil, and, and that's what Elisha, Elisha asked. He said, what do you got? What do you have? What do you have? And she's like broke, 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 broke. Broker than broke. Verse 3, Elijah said, here we go, here's the plan. You want to ask God for a solution? Here, I'm going to I'm I'm give you a plan. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house and with your sons and shut the door behind you. You know what's interesting? Would you underline that? Would you circle that in your notes? Verse 4, he says, shut the door behind you. It's almost as if God is like, I'm going to do something amazing for you. I'm going to do something amazing through you. I'm going to work through your faith, but actually anybody who doesn't have faith, I'm not going to allow them to see it. Shut the door. Some of us sometimes, maybe whatever it is God's asking you to do, you don't need to announce it to anybody. 
You need to shut the door and in faith step out and do it, right? God's ways, they don't always seem logical. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 4, then go into your house with your sons. Shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flasks into the jars. So, so let's slow down here. Pour it out like pour out what you have from a jar into another jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. And I'm, I'm like thinking, I'm like, I've got one jar of oil. What do you mean like keep setting it aside? What, what is this about? Pour my one jar into all the other empty jars? This makes zero sense, prophet. This plan seems like a giant waste of energy and time and resources, and I'm going to annoy my neighbors for this. But Isaiah 55, 8, right, it says, My thoughts are what? My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine, says the Lord. The, the widow is listening but you know what's interesting? I love the trust from Ruth. I love the trust from the widow in 1 Kings. I love the trust from the, the widow here in 2 Kings because she trusted just enough to do something, right? Sometimes the reason we don't see God moving is because, one, we're not trusting him to do it, and then sometimes we're not running on empty enough to even bother to ask. Sometimes, like, you, you sense in these stories, there is a sense of, of desperation that they are like, they are so humble, they are in such need that they are like, I have nowhere else to look. A lot of times we live our lives like we want God's blessing and we want His direction, but we aren't really empty. We're kind of just full, like, you know, I, I, can, I have just enough to make all this work on my own. I don't really need His help, right? I have just enough to kind of accomplish all this on my own. Verse 5, so she did as she was told. She, her sons, they kept bringing jars to her, and they begin to fill up jars. They begin to fill up more and more and more. The Bible says, read this with me in verse 5, one after another. They just keep, it's, it's like on autofill, right? Soon every container, the Bible says, was filled to the brim. Number three, would you write this down? Our God is more trustworthy and generous than we can ever imagine. It's in your notes on your smartphone. Would you write that in? He is more generous. He is more trustworthy than we can even fathom, than we can even imagine. It's interesting to me that she has all these empty jars and all these empty vessels from her neighbors, and they keep filling everything up. And it, it, you know what I wonder? Like, what if she just had collected all the jars from the entire nation? It's almost like God decides to bless her based on the size of her faith. Right? Boom. It's like, and read what happens. So at the end of this here, would we read verse uh, 6? Bring me another jar. She keeps telling her sons, the door is shut. This is amazing. It'd be like, it, what was that old show where they struck gold in their, in their backyard? Or was that the Beverly Hills? Right? It was a, but it wasn't gold. It was black gold. It was oil. They struck oil somewhere. Beverly Hillbillies, right? In my mind, I think of this story like, what is going on here? There's more and more oil. They're able to fill it up. But look what happens. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. It's interesting. The minute they ran out of vessels to fill, God stopped the blessing from flowing. Right? No more empty jars to fill, and boom, God stops moving. You don't want to be empty? Cool, I'm not going to move through you. Right? It seems like the oil stops based on how many jars, how many vessels she collect, collected. And we talk about God's provision, right? Stops working when there's no place to go. God, I think it's almost like God just says, okay, hey, you don't need me to do anything? Okay, I'll stop doing anything. I think God kind of, right? 
You don't need me to do anything. I will stop doing anything. And God filled her as far as this faith goes. Verse 7, when she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened, I could see Elisha just being like, yeah, I know, I, I know, this is awesome, right? When she told him, look at his response. He said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And he says, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Look at this, folks. This is amazing. In six verses, God provided retirement for this widow. Right? In six verses, he totally flips the scripts, and he, 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 he is amazing. And you know what's so cool? And we have testimony after testimony, and even things going on in our lives and in our church and our school now. When God moves, he moves quick, doesn't he? Sometimes it's like we're praying for breakthrough. We're praying for something to happen. We're praying for something new. And then all of a sudden, God moves, and he moves with speed, and he moves at the flip of a switch. And for this woman, he moved. He says, sell it all, pay your debts. Sell it all, pay off your debts, pay off those credit cards. Your sons, you can all live on what is left over. And even though this technique, even though he said, shut the door, start pulling out, you know, start, start emptying your, your, your olive jar. Even though this plan seemed so foolish, she was able to pay off her debt. You know, her, 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 her sons were blessed. Her family was blessed. Her grandchildren would be blessed. All of them would be rewarded. Her sons weren't going to be sold into slavery to pay off her debt. They were going to be rewarded because of this simple act of humility, this simple act of offering God her emptiness and watching him move. Number four, number four, God will multiply what is given in faith for his glory. I think this is kind of the, uh, something for each of us today. If we give God everything we have, even if it's not much, some of us are like, I live at home with my parents and I own nothing. And that's true. Parents, kids, remember that, right? I don't care who you are. Uh, you're, you're not rich. Your parents are, right? Your parents, they got it all. I always tell my kids that. I'm like, that's, that's my iPad, right? <laughs> that's my bed. You just sleep in it. No, I'm teasing. But God will multiply what is given in faith for his glory if we give God everything we have. And even if it's not much, he's going to use our faith. Would you go back? Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says she has nothing to pay her bills. The Bible says in verse 1 she's lost her husband. She's going to lose her sons. And here's the question I want to close with today. Here's the question I want to close with today. The prophet asked her this when she was desperate, when she was humble, when she was broken, when she had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to look. He said, what do you have? That's the principle here. He says, what do you have? He makes her see, like, and almost you could say, what do you have to give away? She's in desperate need. She's the one that needs something, and yet the prophet reverses. He says, what do you have? Would you write that down today? I want you to just ask that question out loud. Would you write it down in your notes? What do you have? I love this in Scripture because she responds and she thinks it's nothing at first, but then she says, I have a jar of oil. Right? I got a jar of oil. That's it. What do you have? And we could go over and over in Scripture on this principle of God taking something small and multiplying it for His kingdom, right? What do you have? We could look back in the Old Testament. God would ask, Moses, what do you have? We called it a staff, and we make it like a big deal, but really you could say, Moses had a glorified walking stick. 
And God took a stick and he said, you know what, Moses, what do you have? I'm going I'm to part the Red Sea with this here stick. Right? You, you, like, what, what, what is it that you have in your pocket? Some of us look and we're like, I, I have no idea. What is it you have? Because are, we serve a God that, he, he had a young man that said, you know, I got, a, I got a slingshot. I got a slingshot and you know, I got five smooth stones. Right? That's what I got. And we, what did our God do with that slingshot? He says, that, that giant was taken out completely. We, we serve a God, it's like, there's a, a jawbone that a hero, right, this, this, this judge named Samson takes a, a small jawbone and defeats a thousand with it. We have a God, like he takes small things. We, we have a God that he, you know, what does this boy have? I got, I got a couple loaves. I got a couple fish. And it's going to be enough to feed everybody at the T-Mobile arena. That's how many people could be fed on that day of the multitudes because they only counted the 5,000 men, right? I got, I got a couple fish. I got a couple loaves. But I think that's the question we see God, we see Jesus do it over and over. What do you have? What do you have? God multiplies, and he often does it when he starts with something very small. Luke 6, 38, give. Would you read this with me? It will be given to you. A good measure will be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, right? In many cases in the Bible, and here's, here's kind of the final thought, and I don't know where you're at, if you're in a crisis or you're coming out of a crisis, and if you're not in a crisis or coming out of a crisis, have fun today because one is coming, right? But in order for a situation and a spiritual situation to change and a crisis to change, here's what usually happens in the Bible, and here's what happened with these widows. God usually says... Here's how I'm going to change your situation. It's going to require you to minister to someone else. It's going to require you to give something to someone else. I'm not going to change a thing till you trust me enough to give away what you have to someone else. It usually involves giving with what little they had, right? These women, they made a, a spiritual decision to walk in so much faith. And, and, and sometimes, right, I would say it like this. Write this down if you can. Sometimes you don't get things back because you aren't giving anything out that's a spiritual principle sometimes you aren't you want you want you want but you're not getting because you're not giving the bible says i want i want i want friends but you're not stinking friendly right that's a bit like i care what age group that falls in i want friends but I, it's like i want but i'm not giving out i want friends but i'm not friendly i want that money but i don't give away money i want that love but i don't show love i want to get it i want to get it back but i'm not putting anything out and you talk about how God multiplies, he starts with something. And the Bible says when we walk in humility and when we recognize that we aren't sufficient enough, we aren't full enough, we don't have enough, then we will see God become totally full. And in his fullness, he will do more than we could, uh, abundantly more than we could ever imagine, right? Than we could ever even begin to imagine. Here's the, as we close, would you write, here it is, here it is. God doesn't need a whole lot to do a whole lot, right? Somebody say amen to that, right? Can we amen that? Here, you didn't hear me. God doesn't need a whole lot to do a whole lot. Can we get that? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. God, thank you for Mother's Day. God, thank you that we can gather. God, thank you that your scripture, your word is the answer for us. It's the solution to our issues, to our problems. 
God, we pray for every mother here that you would refill what they have been giving away. God, that you would restore what they have been giving away, that you would bless them abundantly more than anything they could imagine. Because God, you are generous, you are trustworthy, and God, you will always multiply that which we trust in you and give away to you in faith. So in our families, in our homes, in our finances, God, multiply all of it. Multiply our kids. Multiply those blessings. But God, allow us to recognize we are empty without you and we need to trust in you with every blessing we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Can someone say amen? Can we applaud him? Can we praise him? Can we lift him up today? Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.